Hello, this is former Fox Sports Wisconsin anchor and proud fellow Wauwatosan Jeff Grayson. From my position high in the booth, it appears conditions are good for this much-anticipated matchup. Let's go down to the studio. The action is about to start. It's season four of the Bait and Switch podcast. Welcome back to the Bait and Switch podcast. My name is Chris Beyer, as always with my co-host, Jim Martin. Hello, everyone. Tonight is our annual Tour de France preview podcast. The Tour de France starts on Saturday, June 26th, a week earlier this year because of conflict with the Olympics that may or may not take place in Tokyo this year. If you're a new listener to our podcast, I want to tell you that this is a little bit of a one-off podcast that we do once a year. Uh, We've got some other ones that you might have interest in. We recently did a a podcast with former brewer great Jerry Augustine, and we got one coming up with the mayor of Wauwatosa. So when you see our uh, the list of our podcasts, give them a listen. I think you'll like some of them. Now, with that, I'm going to throw it to Jim, who's going to be the moderator, who's going to ask questions of all of our guests here today. Jim? Well, thanks, Chris. Uh, first, I want to introduce everybody and let our listeners know who we're, who we're talking to here. Um, we also decided what requirements we had for these guys being on the panel. So I'll, I'll explain why we feel like they were qualified to be here. As for myself, I'll start with myself. I am qualified to be the mod- moderator because I am the least knowledgeable about cycling and I do not speak French. So that qualifies me as the moderator. Uh, most importantly, when you Google my name, I was the one with the most images of weasels. The most images of weasels came up for my name. So I am therefore the moderator. So first of all, Will Beyer is here with us tonight. He's a longtime bike racing fan. And after viewing hundreds of hours of marble racing videos and cycling races, Will discovered an almost direct correlation in race results between marble color and team jersey colors in the Tour de France. It's like unbelievable. And... uh He's uh, one of the top prospects of up-and-coming Tour de France prognosticators, along with Sylvie Tyke, who is conspicuously absent from this panel. We don't know if we're going to get in that controversy later, but we'll see. He is qualified to be on this panel because of his unparalleled skills in analytics between marble racing and bike racing. So welcome, Will. Thanks for being here. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, next, we have uh, Chris, Chris Beyer, who's uh, Will's dad. He is a longtime bike racing fan. That might be a pattern. Uh, he's the, the inventor of the Revere Ride, which is a ride in Wauwatosa that goes all the way up this giant hill on a street called Revere and then back down around a circle. You do that about 150 times, I'm told. Also, uh, he is a Tour de France attendee and rider of the Alpe d'Huez and the Col de Madeleine. He's qualified because he rode up a couple of hills in France. That's why he's qualified to be here. Welcome, Chris. Thanks for being here. We also have Mitch Tyke with us. He is a longtime bike racing fan, and he is also a longtime host of NPR's Lake Effect show here in Milwaukee before moving on to New York to uh, to hold down the fort uh, right around Potsdam. And uh, he's also a Tour de France attendee, but he didn't have time to make the ride up the hills. He is qualified because of his ability to articulate his opinion due to his many years in radio. So that's what qualifies Mitch to be here. Thanks for being here, Mitch. It is my pleasure. And I have carried folding chairs up the Col de Madeleine. Oh, we'll see. There you go. Now you're really in. We'll put that down for next year. 
Finally, we have Tom Schuler, who's a longtime bike racing fan. He uh, also was on the 1980 Olympics team, but the Olympics were boycotted that year, so he didn't actually get to ride in the Olympics, unfortunately. He was a longtime rider for the 7-Eleven cycling team, a longtime manager for the Saturn team. Uh, he's a U.S. Pro National Road Race Champion. We didn't really think that Tom was that qualified to be here, but he asked really nicely, and he promised donuts after COVID was over. So we thought, all right, we'll let him in this year. Welcome, Tom Schuler. Thanks for being here. Thanks, guys. Happy to be back. So that's uh, that's our panel tonight. We're just going to dive right in because we got a lot to cover in a little bit of time. So I've got some questions for you, gentlemen. Chris, make the case for Tade Pogachar winning the tour. Okay, well, I thought we'd start right away with the GC battle here. Now, Tade Pogachar is last year's champion, and he is the favorite, the betting odds favorite currently. He's young. Some of these uh, good GC riders are young and getting younger all the time. It used to be 25, 26, 27 that they thought people kind of peaked. Uh, but nowadays, 20, 21, 22 is not that uncommon for GC champions here. Tade Pogacar went in the tour. The, the main case is he won last year. He's looked strong this year. He's done really well. He's shown the most promise this year and last year. So uh, I think there's a good chance that he's going to repeat. Okay. Tom, I'm going to ask you uh, to make the case against Tade Pogachar winning the tour. A couple things I would point out is he hasn't raced leading up to the Tour de France. He's been in training camp, so it's hard to tell exactly where he is. Now, nowadays, they use that to their advantage. The coaches are choosing that path because they don't want people to know where they are. Um, <laughs> I, the second thing is, I don't think his team is as strong. It's certainly stronger than it was last year, and he got the job done last year. I don't think it's strong as certainly Ineos. Last year, remember, he was never a favorite. He came on. He didn't take the Leela jersey for the till the last day, so his team did not have to carry any load the whole race. If he's a favorite and he moves into the yellow early, it's a different dynamic for that team. So that's that could be a weakness. That's interesting. I'm scaring myself because I realized that I, I my first question when Chris was talking is, well, he may be pretty good, but how's his team? Which means I might be actually starting to understand some of this stuff. And because so, I was making the case for him, I left that out. <laughs> oh, okay, sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let me say one more thing about his team. If you look at his roster that I've seen so far, he's got Raphael Micah, very strong support writer. He's got Mark Hershey, very strong support writer, but he likes to go for stages. He's got Alexander Kristoff, who's a sprinter. So right there, you have a split goal versus Ineos is all in for the GC. So I'm sure it's a great team, but um, they might have a couple different cards they want to play as opposed to being purpose built for the, the winning the yellow jersey in Paris. Gotcha. A little splintered. Um, all right. So, Will, I'm going to ask you to make the case for Primoz Roglic winning the tour. Uh, I want to start with just looking at the team, Jumbo Visma. Basically, all of them can play support for Roglic. Like, you got a uh, really good domestique in uh, Kuss, uh, Van Aert, and upcoming uh, Vingegaard, which are really going to help him in the mountains. And, like, even then, he doesn't really need that help. He's always strong in the mountains. We didn't uh, see much of Roglic this year, but looking at the team difference between Pugachar and Roglic, it's going to make the difference, I believe. Okay. 
And Mitch, I'm going to ask you to make the case against Primoz Roglic. Well, uh, Jim, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but uh, I worry that Primoz Roglic is actually getting beyond the age where he's going to compete. He's 31 years old, and I think if there were ever a Tour de France he was going to win, it would have been last year, and he came up short. It was uh, it was a valiant effort. They had the right team to do it, but uh, I think if he didn't win it last year, he's not going to win it this year. I think um, they, they've got, again, a good team around them, but I see Sepp Kuss uh, with a better chance to win the Tour de France in the long run than Primoz Roglic. And I think uh, if Tade Pogacar had, uh, had his number last year, he probably has his number this year. And uh, Ineos Grenadiers is kind of uh, loaded and ready to go this year. And they're not going to uh, have the same struggles as they did last year. So um, I think Primoz Roglic is definitely a top five candidate, but I don't see him winning. All right, Tom. Can you make the case for Team Ineos winning the tour? First off, they're purpose-built to win the t- win the race in Paris by the time they get to Paris. Um, when you look at their roster, they don't have an obvious leader that they would rally behind. And I would say there's three that I, I think they'll protect for the first week or two until one of those riders falls out of contention. That's Garrett Thomas, Richard Carapaz, and Richie Port. They'll use Gegenhart. So he's clearly a support rider, but he's always going to be there. Kiatowski does what he does. And the other riders are just diesels. The other four riders, uh, Dipoulos, Dennis, Castronevo, and Rowe are the diesels. So, but again, going back to the leaders, you've got Thomas, Carapaz, and Port. And Richie Port's weakness is always the third week. He's good for a one-week stage race. He's won a lot of one-week stage races like he just did in um, Dauphiné. He won the Dauphiné. There again, he proves he's got great form. But again, his weakness is always his durability in weeks two and three. Carapaz, for me, is a, a real favor, the real talent. He looked phenomenal. He just won the Tour de Suisse. And Garrett Thomas, to me, is a little less... Um, of a guarantee, but they will, I, I think they'll protect all three of those with that. It gives them more, uh, more options than most teams have. So that is my case. And I think, I think the way they play it out is they just wait and see who's looking good after the second rest day. And if they have one or two in contention, they'll, they'll back that rider like they did in the Giro last year with Teo Gagenhart came from, you know, five minutes back to win the race. So I think it could be one on the last, the last couple days. It must be rough to have two or three guys who could actually win the whole thing, right? On your team. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, moving on. Will, we're going to ask you to make the case against team Ineos. Against Ineos. Um, that's a tough one, but good luck. <laughs> uh, as Tom said, their focus at the start is kind of split between three riders. And we've seen that come back to bite teams like Movistar. Enios usually has better team tactics than Movistar, but still having a determined leader can definitely help. Port, yeah, he's not the greatest over a period of three weeks. Uh, he always has like one unfortunate thing happen. Uh, Thomas, he's getting old. Karapods, yeah, uh, he could definitely win it, but he's come up short in uh, previous uh, Grand Tours, and so... I don't know if he's going to have the strength to do it this time. Thanks, Will. All right, uh, Mitch, we're going to ask you to make the case for any other rider winning the tour. 
I, I think if there's any other rider who's in a position to do it, I'm going to go with Simon Yates. Uh, Simon Yates, uh, who rides for uh, what used to be Orica Scott and then was Mitchelton Scott and is now, I'm, I'm, I'm vamping now, Bike Exchange, Team Bike Exchange, the Australian team. Um, Simon Yates is uh, one of these guys that shows that he's uh, got the talent to do it over three weeks. Um, he's had some bad luck in the past, but he is a, a previous Grand Tour winner. Uh, I'm not really sure how strong his supporting cast is around him this year, but they surprised some people. Simon Yates is one of these guys that uh, can build up a bit of a lead. And, I, you know, I think it's going to be hard for him to do it. But if there's anybody else in this race uh, besides Pogachar or Roglic or any one of the Ineos guys, uh, I could see Simon Yates being able to pull it off. Okay, Simon Yates, I'm making a note here. All <laughs> right, uh, Chris, uh, I'm going to ask you to make the case against any other rider winning the tour. To start with, we talked about the main contenders, Pogachar, Roglic, and the, the three-headed leaders from Ineos. That's five riders right there. I think you know, the podium is probably going to be made up of, of three of those five riders. Last year, Pogachar and Roglic were really head and shoulders above the third place and, and beyond riders. And so I think that'll probably be again the case this year. And then Ineos, one of those three guys has got to make up that final spot of the podium. Simon Yates, I'd have to say he's a little tired from the Giro. Other riders we can talk about later, but I think you're, the winner's going to come from those first five riders we talked about and probably the entire podium. Okay, fair enough. Uh, all right, Chris, we're going to stick with you, ask you to make the case for Peter Sagan winning the green jersey. All right, the green jersey is the points classification. A lot of people think it's uh, the best sprinter of the race, but it really isn't. It's really the most consistent rider, and that's what Peter Sagan has been for most of the last 10 years or so in the Tour. He's won six or seven green jerseys. He specializes in winning the green jersey, not by winning stages, but by coming in second and third and getting points along the way uh, in the midway sprints. And I just think that's going to happen again. I think that the other sprinters, are going to be concentrating on winning stages. He's going to be concentrating on winning points. Will, we're going to ask you to uh, go against your dad's claim there, and we're going to ask you to tell us why you don't think Peter Sagan will win the the, uh, the green jersey. Uh, I got one person to debate that claim, and it's Ackerman. Ackerman is on the same team as Sagan, uh, Bora Hansgrohe, and you know I'm pretty sure this is his first tour, so I'm sure he's going to be hungry for some stages, trying to make a good first impression on the uh, on the race. If Sagan's going to be the second fiddle for that team, I don't know if he's going to be able to get those seconds or thirds. He definitely can like go into mountains further than other sprinters. We'll see if that does help him, but I don't know if he's going to be the focus for that team, because they're also focusing on uh, GC with Kelderman. So... I think Sagan getting the green jersey is just going to be an afterthought. Okay. Fair enough. Tom, uh, we're going to ask you to talk about the sprinters, Caleb Ewan, Demer, and Merlier. I, I haven't seen Merlier on the list yet, but that's fantastic to know he's racing. On my list, I've got Sam Bennett on the list also. So my, 
my five-star sprinters are Sam Bennett, Merlier. I didn't know he was uh, coming, but it makes sense that he is. Uh, Damar, remember this race is in France, so he's going to be – he's ready to go. And Caleb Ewan. Those, and Sagan's not in that list, but the, the five-star sprinters for me are Sam Bennett, uh, Arnold Damar, Caleb Ewan, and um, Tim Merlier. I want to go back to the point of uh, Sagan not winning it. If you have four five-star sprinters – one of them's not going to have good form. Most likely one of them's going to win three stages. And if they can go deep into the race, Sagan doesn't have, he doesn't go as far into the mountains as he used to, and he's not as fast as he used to. So I think that's the most likely candidate to disrupt another Sagan green jersey is if any one of those four, five-star sprinters, Tim Merlier, Bennett, DeMar, or Caleb Ewan has great legs and wins three or four stages, it gives them a huge head start. Then they can play one-on-one with Sagan or whoever's in the battle with them. Mitch, Walt Van Aert, is he going to win for stages? Is he going to go for stages? Because he's just as good a sprinter as a lot of these guys. Walt Van Aert uh, can do anything. He could win the green jersey. He could win the polka dot jersey. He could win four stages. He's amazing to watch. The real question is uh, how much is he going to play a supporting role to Primoz Roglic? And how much is he in this race for himself? And I think it's going to be really interesting to watch. Um, you know, he's a guy who, um, you know, it's hard not to make the comparison to Eddie Merckx for you uh, cycling fans out there, a guy who can excel in both classics and in stage races. And um, I think he's going to be fascinating over the course of three weeks. And I think if Primoz Roglic starts to falter at any point, I think uh, that really frees Wout Van Aert up to uh, to kind of turn things on. His assignment is going to be to ride for Primoz. Right. And, and if there's an opportunity, we'll let you, ha- we'll let you take it. Which I think, uh, if you're, if you're Yumbo Visma makes a, a great deal of sense. But, uh, speaking as a cycling fan, uh, I kind of hope that there will be at least one stage where Wout Van Art and Matthew Vanderpoel get to duke it out because yeah, it's just, there, there will be a guarantee there will be. Um, we just don't know when hmm. because Wout yeah. Van Art has a job to do first, whereas, uh, Vanderpool doesn't doesn't have that job to do. If if there's some kind of lumpy stage, uh, kind of a transitional stage where uh, Primoz Roglic is really protected by everybody else, I think I could mm-hmm. I could imagine it being a battle between Van Art and and Vanderpool. Yeah, and I think arguably if we if we went back to the days of the two sixty kilometer time trials in the tour, Walt Van Art could win the tour like Indurain did. Sure. Okay, which athlete has the most promising future and the least promising? Andre Gripple, Chris Froome, Mark Cavendish, or Valverde? And we're going to start with Mitch. It was interesting watching Chris Froome ride the Criterium de Dauphiné. Um, he is still trying to round back into form after a really catastrophic accident last year in the Dauphiné and just hasn't been the same since. He's not surrounded by Team Ineos anymore. Um, he rides for Israel Startup Nation, which is a really strong team, but... Um, 
Mark Cavendish is definitely towards the end of his career. Andre Greipel is definitely towards the end of his career. I think Israel Startup Nation is really hoping that Chris Froome um, finds the form that won him uh, his what, what four Tour de France's Tours de France uh, at this point. Uh, I think he's the biggest question mark of all of them, and uh, I would say Alejandro Valverde is. Uh, probably the one who still has the most to offer out of that group that you mentioned. He won a stage of the Dauphiné. I could see him sneaking out with a stage of the Tour de France. He's still a fascinating rider to watch. Um, and, you know, for the sake of competition, I hope Chris Froome finds it again uh, because he was somebody, you know, I've never been an enormous fan of, you know, Fortress Ineos on the front of the Peloton all the time. Uh, but Chris Froome is a really interesting guy to watch as well and so i think he would liven things up if he if he's able to find his form in the tour from previous podcasts mitch i remember you talking a lot about chris Froome's uh crash and uh and you're really you're really putting a lot of weight on that like you're really using that one up really milking that one for the last <laughs> few years here so uh, all right so we're going to move over to tom next what do you think is the is the most yeah the most promising future and and the least promising future for these guys so, yeah, I have to uh, agree with Mitch about Valverde. You know, Valverde has said he keeps extending his retirement each <laughs> year. He said he's retiring after the Olympics last time I listened. Well, the Olympics is uh, follows on the Tour de France. So a perfect ending would for him would be to have a good tour and then ride the uh, have a good ride at the Olympics. And we've seen he still has the ability, like Mitch said, to play a role for his team. So and that's what he's going to do. And he's always going to be, you know, in the top 10 on the climbs, but he's not going to be in, on the podium on any of the climbing days. But he's always going to be there as a, a senior a stability pillar for his team. So very valuable that way. And he has the motivation because he's got the Olympics. Um, Cavendish, is he riding? I don't know. I don't think he's riding. If you guys have seen a start list, he's not on my start list. But when right. you have Sam Bennett, yeah. I'm not sure if you take him. And then Greipel is is the gorilla. Is, you can always count on him to be in there, but he just doesn't have the speed anymore. So I don't think his value is really there. You know, with a sprinter, if 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 the team doesn't think you can win, you take up a lot of uh, space to have that rider go to the tour because you've got lead out people, and if they truly don't believe you know, Cavendish or Greipel can beat the faster guys. It's kind of a waste of three positions, your two lead out guys. And, and so that was, that's why Cavendish didn't get taken to the tour a few years ago. And then the last uh, octogenarian was um, <laughs> Froome. And yeah, I, Froome's an enigma to me. I, I really, I have no idea. I'd love to see him come back, but I'm not seeing the signs yet. So, um, but so I say, Val, I think Valverde is the most valuable. Okay. All right. Well, what do you think about these guys? Uh, most promising. De I definitely do agree with uh, Valverde. He's still like up there in the mountains, still uh, near the front in flat stages. He's uh, maybe going to retire soon, but um, he's still giving a lot to his team. Least promising. Cavendish has a new life with uh, Quick Step. Froome, at least I've seen his name on start lists, but I haven't seen Greipel at all. So I'm just going to say Greipel. Okay. Yeah. All right, Chris, uh, why don't you finish it up? Okay. Well, I came up with the list because I thought it'd be fun to talk about some of these guys. I thought about 
saying which writer's most washed up, but I thought I'd go the, the, uh, <laughs> with a with a more positive thing by saying most promising future, even though they're all on the verge of retirement. I'll talk a little bit about Cavendish. Um, Cavendish, like uh, Tom said, has not yet showed up in the start list for the tour. There was some rumors that he might because Sam Bennett has got a little bit of an injury. But Cavendish is one of these guys that I, among many other people, thought was washed up. And then he started winning a couple races at small at small races. And then he's won a couple of halfway decent races against halfway decent fields. So there is all of a sudden this, this move to get Cavendish back in the tour. Probably is not going to happen. But I thought I'd throw his name out there just because he's been in the news because he just won a big race here on Sunday at the Tour of Belgium, beating the likes of Melier, Ewan. He beat all the big sprinters. And that was really his first big win in years. Okay. And who is in the upside? Is Cavendish? Is well, I'll agree with everybody. Valverde, mm-hmm. who is 41, almost 42, one of the oldest riders out there. The guy is like the Tom Brady of cycling. He mm-hmm. He's still at the top of the game, despite being, as we've said, you know, retiring potentially every year for the last five. Okay. Okay. So Valverde all around for most – most upside. I don't even know why he's on this list, to be honest with you. I don't, I don't, it's kind of an outrage to me. I, I, I sit back. I shook my head as soon as I saw it. But uh, with that said, let's move on to question five. Um, pick the rider that will finish highest in G, highest on GC that isn't from Slovenia or on Team Ineos. Uh, you know, I was going to pick Polanc for this, but sadly he's uh, Slovenian, so I can't choose him. Um, <laughs> no, Slovenians are off the list. Yeah, r- really unfortunate. Um, <laughs> top five is probably going to be Slovenia and Inio. So this is kind of just like picking a six right here. And um, I don't really know. You got you got Kelderman from Bora. He's a decent time trialist and there's a decent time trial mi- miles uh, in this tour. You got to pick one. Okay, well, <laughs> um, you got Yates. uh this sounds like a list. You threw him with the Slovenia thing. I mean, it's, you know. Um, I'm ready. I'm ready. You want me to go? <laughs> sure, we can go to Mitch. Will, you take a little time, gather your thoughts, you know, recombobulate. All right, Mitch. Patrick Conrad. He's Austrian. He's always there. He's I, I, I see him finishing sixth or seventh. That uh, induced a scream from out another room. That is the, uh, that is world famous uh, cycling analyst, Sylvie Tyke in the other room, completely supporting my pick of Patrick Conrad. Uh, yes, I, I can hear that. Okay. Well, great. Great. All right, Chris, what about you? You know, one thing I didn't mention at this tour is a little bit more time trial heavy than some of the last couple tours. Some of the climbers might be at a slighter disadvantage than been in past years. I'll say uh, Miguel Angel Lopez from uh, Team Movistar. He came in fifth or so last year, something like that. He's got a little stronger team to ride for this year in Movistar. He's not as good in the time trials. That's why I'm hedging it, but I'll go with him. Okay. I'm going to go back to Will for a second, see if he's got himself back together. Uh, yeah. yeah. I'm, <laughs> okay. uh, there's a lot uh, more time trials in this one, so I'm going to be going with Kelderman. Uh, he got third in the 2020 Giro. He, he's good in time trials. In the Dauphiné, he showed that he could stick with people. So I'm I'm going with uh, Kelderman. All right, Tom, why don't you wrap this one up? What do you think? So I'm going to throw three names out there. Um, 
two of them are on a team we haven't talked much about, EF Education, um, Rigoberto Iran um, and Sergio Higuita. Um, my third is uh, Mikael Landa. All those riders typically, again, um, not unlike Richie Port Falter, somewhere along the line, so they're not, they haven't been consistent enough. They all have the talent to be on the podium in the tour, but they just haven't been able to put it together for the tour or the Giro. I'm sure one of them's been on the podium and I'm forgetting, but um, so yeah, I like all those riders. They can do it in the high mountains. Um, and I, I'd love to see uh, EF education have a good tour. Okay. Before we get to our final question, which is name your podium for the well, tour. Well, thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. Yeah. That's my big <laughs> grand finale here. You reckon? Yeah. All right. Fine. I'm going to let Jim, Jim say that when it comes time. I think we got a little bit more time than we thought here. We got a little extra time. So I want to throw out a question to everybody here. Uh, I'll start with uh, with Mitch. Is there any rider or any team that we haven't talked about yet that you want to chime in on? You know, the team that has really been surprising me the last uh, year or two is Groupama FDJ. Um, they, uh, I, I, I don't see them winning the tour, but they've had some really strong riders. Arno Demar has really kind of put it together as a sprinter. They've had some, uh, they've had some success with their climbers. Rudy Millar um, held the uh, held the red jersey in the Vuelta for I think it was uh, four or five days. And uh, they are really kind of rounding into form. They're they're beloved in France because they're, of course, a French team. I don't know that they're going to uh, light the world on fire, but DeMar could could win two, three, maybe even four stages. Um, He's that good a sprinter. And, um, you know, I think it's entirely possible he might be challenging uh, Peter Sagan for the green jersey before all is said and done. Tom, any other rider or team you want to talk about? So, yeah, I like uh, what Mitch said with David Gadu, who's yeah. also on FDJ as a climber. Certainly Quintana has the ability, but, he, you know, again, he's probably past his prime. And one of my favorites that um, we haven't talked about, but I would love to see w- do well in a grand tour is Jacob Fuglesang. Um, we haven't talked about him. It's hard to tell what kind of leadership role he'll get. I think he'll go into the tour as their leader. He hasn't raced that much. Normally he does more of a classic season. So that tells me that he's really focusing on the tour. Let's, uh, let's ask Will. What do you think? Well, any rider to watch out for? Rider or team? I'm going to go with rider here. going to talk about two, kind of. Uh, two people that went to the Dauphiné this year and uh, surprised me there. Jack Haig and Ben O'Connor. Jack Haig is on Bahrain, uh, McLaren, is it still? Bahrain Victorious. Bahrain Victorious. And uh, he rode very aggressive in the Dauphiné. O'Connor really surprised me. He's on AG2R. Uh, those two aren't going to be getting, like, top five, I don't think. But uh, they're going to be the people that are in, like, top 15 or so. I'll talk about the teams just in general. There's, I believe, 23 teams in the Tour. 19 of which I believe are world tour teams. And then there's four wild cards. I want to talk about the wild card teams. Alpes and Phoenix. We've mentioned them a little bit with their sprinter, uh, Tim Melier and uh, Matthew Vanderpoel, who will probably be a stage hunter. French teams, Total Direct Energy, Team Arkeas Samsic and B&B Hotels. These teams, especially the last three teams, those French teams, 
you're going to see probably just as much of those teams as almost any other team in the tour because they will be in the breakaways. You start all these stages, you generally see smaller teams throw riders up to get out in the breakaways. And so they get a lot of TV time. So you'll see a lot of those three teams. And I think there's a good chance that some of those teams will concentrate on the last jersey. Well, one of the last jerseys we haven't talked about, which is the polka dot jersey. A lot of French riders go for that. Maybe you'll see somebody like um, or Pierre Roland or maybe even Quintana. Maybe he's passed his prime as a GC guy or Warren Barguil from Team Arkea. Some of those riders might be the ones going for the polka dot jersey, which is uh, colloquially known as you know the king of the mountains uh, jersey. Chris, I'd like to point out that the guys of the B&B Hotels team are also very well rested. <laughs> but I'm up. All right. So, okay. Well, we've come to the, the big one. The final question of the night. I'm going to ask you all to name your podium. Pick your podium. Tom, could you start us off with your podium? Yeah. So um, I'm going to have the top step of the podium is Pogachar. Number two will be Carapaz, and number three will be Rigoberto Iran. Okay. All right. And, Will, you are up next. Um, I think third place is going to be Carapaz. Uh, Second, going to be Roglic. And first, going to be Pugata. Okay. Chris? I'm going to go with my heart here. I'm going to say third place, Carapaz from Team Ineos. Second place, I'm going to go with Pogachar. And first place, I'm going to go with Roglic. I always tend to cheer for the older guy that hasn't won yet. And Roglic, as Mitch mentioned, really should have won last year. And if he's going to win it, it should have been last year. But this <clears throat> is his second best chance. I'm getting uh, choked up. Getting choked up. Yeah, <laughs> it's so been I'm a lot him. of years. You've been through a lot together. You know, that's yeah. the thing. <laughs> at, uh, I, I'm, I'm going to let somebody else pick before I break down. Okay. So. All right. All right. Yeah. Mitch, why don't you bring it home? I'm going to go crazy here. I am picking first place, Garrett Thomas. Mm-hmm. Primo's Roglic in second place. And I'll go with a wild card here. Somebody we haven't mentioned at all this entire conversation, the world champion, Julian Alaphilippe. Oh, there you go. Okay. You know, I know that uh, Garrett Thomas is a favorite of... Miss Sylvie Tyke also. And She's was, a fan, I, I think. Yeah. I, I remember her talking a lot about Garen <laughs> Thomas last time we talked. It was Garen Thomas this, Garen Thomas that. You were talking about Froome's crash. She was talking about Garen Thomas. <laughs> this, that's the whole show. Yeah. All right. Well, gentlemen, thank you very much. I want to you know, thank you guys for taking the time and coming out and chatting about this. It's a fun thing we do every year. Uh, I learn a little bit you know, every year about how to pronounce somebody's name. So that's always good for me. I'm sure the people who know cycling really appreciate this too. So thanks again, guys, for your time. And uh, we'll see you guys next year. Hey, it was All a right. lot of fun. Thanks yep. for having me. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thanks Bye-bye. for having me. Thanks, thanks guys. Thanks, thanks Tom. Tom. Join us next time on the Bait and Switch podcast when we take a little bit of a departure from our format to break down a classic song that changed music forever. You've made it to the end of yet another Bait and Switch podcast. Spread the word.